Welcome to Stories, a collection of human experiences, episode one. My name is Jack. I am a college student in Western Mass, and I grew up in Cambridge. Over the last three or four months, I've been thinking about how everybody has interesting stories that generally are only shared to a small audience. We could create a podcast that would be a platform to share these stories to a broader audience. So thanks for tuning in, and we hope you enjoy. Hi, I'm Louise, and Jack approached me to do this podcast. I thought it was a great idea. I study history at the University of Amsterdam, and I thought it would be a great way for people to get together and listen to small bits of what we each have to say. So I'm also very excited for our first episode. Today, we have Paige, who is currently an English teacher in Philadelphia, but was not always. She used to work in fashion and advertising and has lived in New York and Paris and the south of France. Today, she's here to tell us about the fall of the Berlin Wall and her study abroad trip when she went to Poland in 1980. And she draws uh, interesting comparisons and tells us her experience and how it was to be there in both instances. Good morning, nice to be here, happy to be your first guest. My name is Paige Celestin. I'm currently living in Philadelphia. I have spent 20 years living abroad. I studied French at a university and I've always loved traveling to Europe and most of my jobs have been with international companies. And um, I'm just gonna tell you a story today about my trip, my solo trip to Berlin in 1989. In fact, I was born in 1959. And when my 30th birthday was approaching, I was living in Manhattan at the time and I knew I wanted to go somewhere special. And I had no qualms whatsoever about traveling alone. I actually started in Paris where I have some family and an uncle who lived in Paris at the time. So I stationed myself in Paris for my two week vacation and took off to Berlin. Now remember, um, the Berlin Wall came down on November 9th, um, 1989. And I traveled there on November 28th. So this was just two short weeks after the, the jubilation and the glee and the, the partying that went on in Berlin. And uh, I, I just remember wanting to be a part of it. I had been fascinated by the Berlin Wall forever. In fact, when I was um, a, a junior in college, I did a six month study abroad program in Poland. And um, I first visited Berlin when I was a student in Poland. A few of us took, took the train, you know, from Warsaw to Berlin. And I just loved it and always dreamed about going back. So I arrived and I just, you know, I stayed in a little inexpensive hotel right in the heart of Berlin. And I think I stayed maybe a total of two or three days. And... Um, I woke up nice and early and I knew that what I wanted to do was walk from my hotel in the center of Berlin. All I wanted to walk along the wall, along the Berlin wall, because 
and I wanted to make my way to Checkpoint Charlie, which I'll talk about in a little bit. But I set out early one morning and just walked. And you, you cannot imagine the people walking. Now, the wall was deep and high. It was really thick. And remember, it was, it was made with poured concrete. And that concrete had been fortified with metal inside and metal posts and whatnot. So even though we symbolically talk about the wall coming down, um, it didn't come down right away. They, parts of it were knocked down and you know, people celebrated by walking back and forth over certain areas. And you could walk back and forth easily between checkpoints from West Berlin over to East Berlin. But um, it was crazy because the wall was still there on November 28th. And so I set out and walked along. And one thing that struck me, on the west side of the wall, the entire thing was covered with graffiti, just amazing graffiti, like silvers and greens and blues. Every color of the rainbow had been covered. And um, when I passed through to the other side, there was no graffiti. It was just the color of cement. You know, the East Germans wouldn't let their side of the wall be graffitied. So I was walking along, smiling, saying hello to people, a lot of tourists, a lot of Germans, and you stumble across people trying to hack away at the wall and take a piece of the wall as a souvenir. Everyone was aware that it was going to be coming down. So I walked past this guy and he must have been about younger than me, maybe 25, 27 year old German guy, tall, strapping, blonde, curly blonde hair. And he had a big sports bag, a big sports bag next to him and and he had a pickaxe and was working up a major sweat hacking away on the west side of the Berlin Wall and he was shirtless and sweating I mean he was really like so I strode up to him and um you know, like many Western Europeans, especially Germans, he, he had a decent command of, of the English language. And as um, I later learned, he was a medical student. I'm sure, you know, he, 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 he had a good education and was learning English anyway. So I, I stopped and paused and was chatting to him. And I looked down in his gym bag and the entire bag, well, it was about, at that point, halfway full of very nice sized chunks of the wall. He had some real massive pieces that must've been like six inches by eight inches. And then he had pieces that were, you know, three by four inches and lots of kind of souvenir pieces that were maybe two inches by one inch. And, and they all had graffiti on them. I was living in Manhattan at that time. It was, you know, the height of, of rap and hip hop coming out and everything. And I wanted graffiti, I admired graffiti. I've always been a big fan of graffiti art. So um, we're chatting and chatting and he says to me, you know, where are you going? Where, where, where are you on your way to? And I said, well, I wanna go check out Checkpoint Charlie. 
you know, which was one of the most famous, um, best known crossing points from, you know, West Berlin into East Berlin. It was built in 1961 and it was used, you know, for, by the allied forces like the US, France and Britain would use it because it was the only checkpoint in Western Berlin that allowed like allied diplomats and military personnel and tourists to pass through. So, and there was a museum there and I'd always heard about Checkpoint Charlie. So I said, yeah, that's where I'm going. And he looked at me and he said, well, do you think you'll be coming back this way again? And I said, yeah. I said, how far is the is Checkpoint Charlie? I said, I'm going to check out the wall, the, the museum there. I said, I'm sure I'll be back in about an hour. So he said, oh, you're not far. It's like another 10 minute walk or something. He said, if you're gonna come back through this way, would you mind bringing me a cold Coca-Cola? <laughs> and I said, my, you know, meanwhile, the gears in my brain are working and I'm looking at that bag, <laughs> that sports bag full of pieces of the Berlin Wall. And I said, I'll tell you what, I'll be happy to bring you a cold Coca-Cola or two in exchange for a piece of the wall. And he said, you got it. So I was like, da -da 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 -da. I like sprinted to Checkpoint Charlie and uh, visited the museum. It's really, it's a shack. It was not, it's just a small wooden building and it's got like the allied flags on it. And, you know, you go in and it's just a lot of photographs and, you know, photographs of guards with dogs and it's not that interesting. Maybe some, you know, military uniforms and a few other things, just a lot of photographs as I recall. But I located, I think they had, as I remember, they had a Coke machine there. Or there was maybe a little canteen attached and um, bought him two Coca-Colas and headed back along the wall. And it was just, you know, people, it was kind of like a big party scene. That's the only way I can describe it. There were like all kinds of tourists and students and people. So I walked my way back and I gave him his two Coca-Colas. He was exactly where I left him. His bag was somewhat more full and uh, he gave me, he was really generous. He gave me a piece, I'd say it's about five inches wide by four inches high. And it's, it's covered with neon green and silver and black paint. And then he gave me about four or five smaller pieces that were all about two inches by two inches that were purple and hot pink. And I ended up giving a couple close friends, my, my pieces, some of the smaller pieces of the Berlin Wall, but I still have the two most significant ones. And um, on my way back into town, I, uh, I hooked up with a bunch of young, like 20 something year old Cuban tourists. And I ended up partying with them for the rest of the day. And we actually went, I went back into East Berlin with them. They were about four young Cubans in their 20s who'd come for the exact same reason that I had. Thanks for that. That was really interesting. I mean, we've all heard so much about the Berlin Wall and East and West Berlin and how divided it was, but it's it's interesting to hear such a personal take on it um, because it's, yeah, it, I can imagine also 
we study in a very political manner and it's the fall of something much bigger but it the personal take of people just partying and skipping over bits of walls i i mean in my history courses i've never seen this and i study european history but it's just such a an interesting take that you could just it, that was really a high point i can imagine for a lot of people just skipping from one side to the other because that was just such a never before seen like idea that you could have done for years and years so that's really yeah. cool you know west berlin is vibrant it is just you know colorful and full of cafes and music and bars and restaurants and record stores and antique shops and it's just crazy i remember one oddball thing the Samsonite luggage for sale in their thrift stores and antique shops was wild. I've never seen a bigger collection of old American Samsonite suitcases in my life. But um, when, when I passed through and went into East Berlin with the Cubans, I was just struck by how grim and kind of gloomy it looked. It reminded me of having done my exchange program in um, Poland in 1980. Because when I was in Poland in 1980, I lived under the circumstances that led to the whole solidarity movement with Lech Wałęsa. And it just, it smelled like it, it looked like it. There was a haze, I think, from maybe diesel gasoline. We walked into several shops nothing, no, no, not even like a, a souvenir to be had, not a sticker, not a badge. I was really, you know, in the 80s, I collected badges, you know, like punk badges, buttons. I think we call them in America, buttons. And um, I was looking for a button. I wanted to just find some military something or another to show that I'd been in East Berlin. And there was nothing to be had. I We walked into like a tobacco store. They didn't even have like Marlboro. At the time I was smoking lightly still. And I remember trying to buy a pack of cigarettes in East Berlin. Nothing, nothing I'd even want to inhale. Just like odd East Berlin brand cigarettes. So, you know, it was, it was really interesting. I, I, I think we sat down and drank tea somewhere. And then we were like, we were looking to party and we were looking for cocktails and beer, right? So, but there was none of that in East Berlin. It was just night and day. That's all I can say, night and day. And um, one other really interesting memory I have um, about traveling between West Berlin and East Berlin, when you, I, I traveled from Paris where I told you I was staying with family. And I, I got on the train and it's, you know, it's a long ride across, a, you know, Western, uh, pardon me, Eastern France and into Western, Western Germany, as it was still called. And when, when you leave Western Germany and go into Berlin, they have officers walking all along the side of the quay with quite literally German shepherds and they would have the German shepherds on leashes and then they would unhook them and they would give their command, whatever that is in German. And I remember hearing one German soldier calling out loudly, his dog's name was Fritz. And he said something like, you know, no, 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 Fritz. And the dog disappeared under the train and the dog would like, and I, I stuck my head out the window and watched this 
the soldier continued down the quay another, you know, 50 yards. And then the dog would submerge from underneath the train and, and they would board and they ask for your papers and they read everything and they like look carefully at your passport. And then they look back at you and the dog is with them on the leash and the dog is constantly sniffing. It was wild. It was interesting having lived in Poland for six months and and, and, and visiting Berlin, you know, when it was still just post, freshly post-communist. It was, it was just fascinating. That is fascinating. Paige, uh, a second ago you mentioned the Polish Solidarity Movement. Would you or Louise mind giving a little bit of context to what that was and uh, what it originated from? Louise. It was um, a movement, I mean, a lot of that whole region, as probably most of you know, is under communist rule, so... It was in the 1980s, a workers movement that started as some sort of like social movement and the plan was to unionize, but unions weren't allowed. And because, yeah, it would be very dangerous for the regime that was established if people could get together and openly talk about the problems this regime posed, who was, well, it was supposed to be a regime for, you know, socialist, communist regimes for the workers. But if they weren't being heard by their government, it'd be a very big problem to have unions. So Solidarność in Polish, if I'm correct, but I, I probably butchered it. Um, it was just, it started as uh, people who gathered and wanted better uh, working situations and wanted better pay. And it turned out to be a really, really big group of people that would gather at like factories and docks. And it was huge and it just grew and grew. Well, there's much more to say about it, but eventually in the end, it was one of the big uh, factors, if not one of the most important in the fall of the communist regime and Poland at that time. That's absolutely right. It started actually up in Gdansk, mm -hmm. up on the Baltic Sea, where the shipyards were, because Poland was a huge, still is, a big shipbuilding country. And uh, one of the workers from, from Gdansk named Lech Wałęsa was the leader, and he was a hero in Poland for years, and was later elected president um, for a term. And um, so I lived in Poland as an exchange student from January through June of 1980, and the whole Solidarność movement started that summer and fall. And um, I can just tell you a couple of things about living there at the time. I ate one orange and I wait while I was there that six months and I waited in line for six, you know, several hours to buy it. It was, they, they had very little in the shops. It was kind of like, you know, everything was in short supply, lots of root vegetables. Poland is also a country of farmers. And so there was never a shortage of turnips, potatoes, beets or farm animals. I remember we ate a lot of chicken and um, and pork, and we drank tea. There was no real coffee. There was no bananas, no kind of tropical imports being made, no pineapples or things that we just take for granted, berries, that sort of thing it, it, there while I was there. So it was, it was just people bartered all the time, people waited on lines, and it was, it was grim. I can't say there was real hunger because it wasn't like World War II conditions where there were soldiers um, commandeering food supplies, but it was, it was difficult. And for an American, 
you know, an American, 20-year-old American girl who'd grown up, you know, in, in the comparative lap of luxury, it was just really interesting to be there. Oh, and one thing they did have, though, was vodka and beer, because, you know, they, beer is made with potatoes, right, and barley and whatnot, but they had all these great Polish beers, and of course, vodka. We, I never saw a bottle of Stolichnaya while I was there, because that was for export only, far too expensive for any working, working class Polish man or woman to buy, but I tasted some amazing Polish vodkas, and the students were fun. I, I, I'm still in touch with two of the Polish students I met while I was living there, and I lived in the dorms. Did you speak any Polish? I was obliged to take Polish for the semester prior to my departure, and I was um, also studying Polish every day while I was there as a student. Um, we were only eight students participating in the program. And interestingly, Poland did not send students as part of the exchange program. They sent only faculty members. And part of the reason was the escape value at play. I just have a quick question about the Berlin Wall that you mentioned I thought was interesting because um, when I hear about it in my history courses and also the one time I went to Berlin, um, there was a lot of emphasis when discussing the Berlin Wall on the amount of uh, death and fear and really long-lasting trauma that it caused on the Berlin population. And I was just wondering when, because you talked about celebration and, you know, dancing and drinking by the wall, which is such a, a contrast from how I was taught the downfall of the wall. I mean, also it, it was obviously a relief, but it's just now when we talk about it, it's like, the the toll death is um, emphasized and the trauma is emphasized. And I was just wondering if that was something that was also being discussed at the time at the fall of the wall. Like this, this is also in remembrance for the people that have, you know, suffered from this being here. Or was it really just pure yeah. relief? And I think initially, and in the period I was there was pure glee and mm -hmm. relief. Did it feel like? everyone was celebrating? Not when you got to the East at all. It was kind of like verboten, you know? And, and I sent you another photograph, Jack, of um, a young East German soldier. And um, interestingly, I'm glad you brought that up. He was smoking and along the wall, there were cracks that were maybe four inches wide, like, openings and I guess they were placed there so the East Germans could look out. They were by no means large enough for someone to scoot through. I mean, a rat or a cat could, but um, I stopped and he was looking at me. All of a sudden I saw him as I was making my way toward the, you know, in the direction of the, the medical student. He did not speak a word of English and of course, and I did not speak German. I only, I was studying French, didn't speak any German other than hello and thank you. And maybe, may I have the check please or something, you know? And um, we gestured and smiled and I, he had an insignia badge on him and I wanted it. <laughs> he was wearing a pin that I wanted and um, he was smoking and there's a picture of him holding 
the cigarette. And he, um, he asked me if I had cigarettes. I, I, I obviously told him, you know, American. And he asked me for a cigarette. And I pulled out my pack of Marlboro lights, I think. And I handed him a couple of cigarettes through the crack. And he, um, he winked at me. He, he was really sweet. But I'm telling you, he could not have been more than... 19 or 20 years old he was a kid but yeah the, the the party the party mood was not happening on the other side at all there was there was you know you know you could maybe hear people exclaiming and hear tourists and hear but honestly I don't think the West Germans even wanted to go over there I, you know maybe mm -hmm. out of sheer curiosity but if they did it was probably with somber thoughts so just for uh, maybe anyone who's listening and wants a fun uh, visualization of this, the movie Goodbye Lenin um, is really, it's, it's fictional and it's about this woman who loves East Germany and loves the regime and how things are done there, who is in a coma during the fall of the wall and uh, everything changing. So it's a recommendation. What's that called again? Goodbye Lenin. It's a I've German got, movie, but it's very easy to find with subtitles online. So I would give it a big thumbs up. Thanks for that recommendation, Louise. And thank you, Paige, for such a great story. Uh, we really appreciate it. And we hope that we can have you back soon for another one. My pleasure. I'll look forward to, to listening to your podcast in the future. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Paige. My pleasure. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening, guys. We're hoping to put out an episode every week or every two weeks. And we're working on an Instagram where we're going to post uh, the photos Paige has mentioned this episode, but also hopefully more as uh, the podcast goes on. Bye.